Hey, so in your Bible that, yeah, you could bring and not worry about, let's turn to 1 John chapter 2. We've been making our way through 1 John, and John, as, as, we've, as we've seen these weeks that we've been in it, is just really concerned with these people following Jesus would be having a real experience. And we've, we've already seen him say so many times, you know, hey, if anybody says this, but it's not this, then they're lying or they don't know God, those things. He's just so passionate about this being genuine and about your relationship with Jesus being genuine. Boy, how significant is it for those of you who are young, like those of you who are in youth group or in your 20s, to be making this real for yourselves and, and not the real thing that your parents had, but, but your own real thing. And so here's, here's our letter, and John's going to talk about just a number of stages of, of where where we, uh, we're at in our, in our journey. That's a really important concept to grasp about your relationship with Jesus, is that this is a journey. And, and along the way with the journey, your journey, it's going to be so important that you know your heart, that you know where your heart is at. This idea that it's a journey, that takes a lot of the pressure off because so often people will come to faith in Jesus. You know, if you, your story is like Jody's and you understand what salvation is, that now I need to live for God. All of a sudden, all these things you've got to do, you've got to change. You can almost get overwhelmed with that. And some people, I think, do get overwhelmed with that. Pastor Ted and I have been talking, you know, the last couple months about just the need in the future to, just to do a series on grace, that it's not you getting rid of all these things in your life. It's not you making all these changes because that'll be exhausting as, as well as confusing. It's just you allowing the grace of God and, and the Holy Spirit has come into you to begin to do that work of transforming because he knows how that journey goes. So it takes a lot of the pressure off that, okay, God, this is a journey. I don't have to worry about, hey, it's been a month. How come I'm not a totally different person? It's this journey. It takes the pr- pressure off. But it also... It also gives you a sense, it's an opportunity just to have aspirations, to be able to see people in their journey with Jesus and in their walk with Jesus, and to have in a good way just an aspiration to, to be like them or to, something about their walk to make true of your walk. Like, I remember I'd gone through youth group, I'd gone to Moody Bible Institute, and then I'm in, I'm in seminary. I mean, my first semester in seminary, having a teacher sitting in a class, you know, hey, let's turn here to Isaiah, whatever it was. He said, now, here's where we're at. Here's who Isaiah is, and here's why Isaiah wrote this book, and here's where you are in this section of Isaiah, and that's why he says this. And I remember thinking, I want to know the Bible like he knows the Bible. You know, God, someday I want to know the Bible like that. That's a good aspiration. You know, you hear people quote, you know, quote the quote the verses or whatever. That's a good aspiration in your heart to say, man, I want to know the Bible like that. You know, sometimes people say to, to Pastor Ted me or to some of you who have been saved a long time, well, I don't know the Bible like you do. You may not now, but there's no reason you can't. That's just an aspiration. Or who doesn't hear people pray and you think, man, God, I want to know you like that person knows you because they really know you. You know, when you're first saved, you feel like, you know, you're the I don't know, you're the new boyfriend in a family and you're at the family gathering and it's super awkward and you're not sure if you should say anything. That's how it is for some people when you get saved and they're praying. It's, do I have the right to say anything? Because everybody else is talking. Everybody else knows the language and I don't know. I don't want to say the wrong thing. So you, you could be like that, but you listen to people praying. And you think, man, I, I want to be able to pray like them. I want to know God like them. I want to be as confident that God is hearing me like that. That's a good aspiration to have. I remember, you know, just in my journey as a pastor, just seeing other pastors and thinking, man, I want to care about people like they do. I want to I be able to encourage people like this man. That's good aspirations on this journey. So, so I hope that stirs up some of that. I hope, on the one hand, if you're newer to this, or unfortunately, it's not always new people. Some, some people have been saved a long time and still are putting pressure on themselves. I, I got to change. I got to change. I got to change to realize... It's a journey. You keep in step with the Holy Spirit and he'll do the changing on his timetable. You know, in those times where you'll be able to take the pressure off yourself and relax, and then there'll be the times when you're not so sure. You know, God, I'm I'm feeling overwhelmed. Are you sure? Are you sure you got your hand on the thermometer here? There'll be both of those times. 
And then allow yourself to just think through the believers that you know and aspire to be like some of them. Maybe that means a conversation. Hey, how did you, how did you learn to pray like this? Or people that I know that really share the gospel really well. How do you do that? How do you, you know? And sometimes it gets, I don't know, it just, it just, you know, comes natural. It comes supernatural. But, but that idea that it's a journey, that has those two things. And, and I want to encourage us to step into that. That you know where your heart, that you know your own heart in this. Well, John has these three markers when we come to, the, to these verses in 1 John 2. He has three markers along the way of this journey that he's going to, he's going to speak to. We've, we've listened to John call some things out and, and understand how passionate he is as a follower of Jesus, but as a follower of Jesus who knew Jesus. He's very passionate. You're lying. You're not even in the light. But he also, through this letter, we're going to see him really affirm people at the same time. I mean, isn't that what friends do? Isn't that what parents do? You, you have to know that balance of, when do I really challenge you? When do I really just need to encourage you? And we're going to see that in the letter. So you're going to see that begin in, in 1 John 2, in verse 12. He says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who's from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you're strong. The word of God abides in you, and you've overcome the evil one. Yeah, so when John writes this, I believe he's talking to them, to us, about it's important that you know where your heart is, knowing where your heart is at. He's not speaking to different ages, like to, you know, to our 20-somethings and then to, to those kids who are watching online or doing something online with their parents in this COVID season and then to people that are older than me. He's not speaking in these three ages. He's speaking of Christian experience. People that are new in Jesus, he refers to as children. And what is it that when you're new in Jesus, what is it that you're so caught up in you're caught up in the fact that God has forgiven you. That whether you had a past that sounded like Jody's or whether you had a past that was clean and churched, that when you came and realized you were forgiven, because you know, those of us who were clean and churched, we wrestled with, I still am not doing enough. No matter how faithful you are in church, there was something inside of us that made us realize we still Whatever we were doing, it wasn't enough to be forgiven. That's why, that's why I say part of my childhood and looking at my Catholic friends was, wow, confession? They tell you you're forgiven? Why is that? Because on the other side of salvation, you never feel forgiven, no matter how clean or churched you are. And then certainly, if you know when you're far from God. And so when you first come to Jesus, one of the things that really grips you is that you are forgiven. When he says, you know, this word that he uses for forgiven, and then you see it's you, because you are forgiven, he uses a verb tense that lets him know you're forgiven, it's done, it's over, it's settled. There's nothing, no forgiveness left for you to do, nothing for you to show, prove to God that you really deserve it. It's all taken care of. In fact, look at a couple places in the Old Testament of all places where he'll tell, tell us about this forgiveness. It says in, in Micah, he will again have compassion on us and he will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will step on all of your sins and you will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. I mean, it's important to God not only to forgive your sins, but also to make, you know, make sure you know they're forgiven. You don't have to keep looking back. You don't have to keep feeling that wave of guilt. They're taken care of. He's cast them into the depths of the sea. And then so many of you have heard that that old story of a testimony night where someone gets up and says, I'm so glad God has forgiven me. I'm so glad he's cast my sin into the depths of the sea. And everybody, oh, amen. He sits down, then he stands back up and he says, and he's put a no fishing sign there. Amen. Isn't that good? That you, you or no one else has the right to revisit that, that he's taking care of that. Or in Psalm 103, where, where the psalm writer is going through all of these benefits to being a follower of God. He says, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, 
So far does he remove our transgressions from us. He's not just forgiven them. You see that? He's removed them from you. And east and west, they never meet. And so, so he's given us this sense, those who are new in Jesus, those who are children, that I'm writing to you because your sins are forgiven, that you can step into that and, 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 and own it for yourself. But I keep sinning, and those sins are forgiven. It's all been taken care of on the cross. He's, Jesus is not coming back to die for the sins that have piled up since his last visit. It's all been forgiven. And then he, when he circles back around and Somewhere I, I read, though I didn't see it this week when I studied, he's, in your Bibles, like mine, it's almost written like poetry there. Typically in the New Testament, when you find that, it's an early Christian song. But I didn't see anybody that said that, but it seems like I've heard that somewhere. So he circles back again at the end of verse 13, I write to you children because you know the Father. So you're new in Jesus. You're probably a little stunned that your sins are forgiven. And then maybe a little stunned that God is a lot closer to you and a lot friendlier and a lot more interested in you than you thought. I mean, how many of us came to salvation or we were afraid to come to God because we, were, we had this concept that he's just waiting to punish us? That there's this place in Scripture where he says, I take no delight in the judgment of the wicked or the punishment of the wicked. Wow, that was far from what I thought. I thought, I knew as a sinner, I knew I did deserve punishment, and God probably enjoyed doing that. And that's a lot of our stories. And so John says, hey, I'm writing to you little children because you've come to know the Father, the Father that Jesus talked about, the Father who knows what you need before you even ask him, the Father who won't give you a stone when you ask for bread, you know, Father who sent his Son to take care of all your needs, to take care of, of your sin need, and to take care of your forgiveness, who loved you so much that he gave up his own Son for you. You've come to know him as Father. If you're new in Christ, those are two things that you need to latch on to, that your sin is forgiven, you can stop letting it control you and allow God to start walking into freedom, and that you've begun a relationship with God the Father. So that you, grow in, you grow in this relationship is what does it mean to be his child? What does he commit to as my father? That's, what he, that's where he speaks when he speaks to that journey of Christ for those of us who are children. You know, children isn't just new in Christ, because sometimes someone can be saved for a long time, but that's really what they're latched on to. They haven't moved on to deeper things. If you, have, if you are a child of God, then all of your sins are forgiven. Those two things are together. And so people that are so gripped by guilt and what if and am I really forgiven, that's child, that's child thinking in the faith. So you can be saved a long time, but still wrestle with the, with the, early, uh, the early issues. Does God really like me? Can I get close to him? I'm afraid to get close to him. I'm intimidated by him. That's child faith. And so it doesn't matter that you've been saved a long time. It's, he's talking about spiritual maturity and spiritual progress. So if you've been saved a long time and you wrestle with those issues, that's something to bring to the Lord. Hey, Lord, I, I need to move on from these. By faith, I need to accept that I'm forgiven. By faith, I need to accept that you're a father who's interested in me and caring for me. Because then he, he moves to this, this next stage. He jumps to fathers. And what does he say? Fathers, the same thing. Uh, both times, he says, because you know him who's from the beginning. You know, the Jews, they would use the word father of someone who was in a position of authority or a position of responsibility. It could be a title of respect to just refer to someone, uh, to someone as your father in that age. It's been really interesting to me and, and I hope this is common to, to all of us. As I've aged, it's been really th weird to think of myself as aged. Really. Like, when we started the live stream, no kidding, I was watching at home one week. Uh, I was watching how it had gone. I thought to myself, who's the guy with the bald spot in front? <laughs> and then I'm watching that chair. I'm thinking, that is my chair. So then I thought, who's sitting in my chair? But yeah. <laughs> this week I got together with someone who's watching. I won't forget this moment. So we're talking, he's talking about his wife's age, and, which I won't mention, but I mentioned that's going to be my wife's age. So he says to me, oh, so you robbed the cradle too. 
I said, actually, Cindy's nine months older than I am. <laughs> to which he says, you said, oh, wow, I thought you were my age. He's 71. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Thank you. I've been, I was waiting for somebody to give me more than an uh, like I, a no way. That would have been so nice. Alexis, where were you? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, so that maturing thing, in the same way, you know, it's really weird. At one point when I realized, man, I'm, I'm at a point where I'm one of the, I'm saying this really humbly, but we realize, wow, I've got some spiritual maturity to me now. And there's a weight of responsibility with that. You know, he says of, of fathers uh, uh, here, because you've come to know the father. I came across this line that I really appreciated. It said, the person of Jesus uh, is gradually understood. Think about that. That the person of Jesus, who he is, and, and what he does, and, and how he can step into your life, that's gradually understood. That takes a lifetime to understand him. I mean, here's the Apostle Paul, who, as a, as a, a non-apostle, one of the non-twelves, probably knew Jesus better than anyone, it seems like. But what does he say? I want to know him. And I want to know the power of his resurrection. And I want to know the, you know, uh, I want to be able to share in the, in the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to know him. That that knowing Jesus, that's a lifetime thing. But then, like I was saying, you will come in contact with people and you think, man, they really know Jesus. They've gotten to know Jesus. They've gotten below the surface things of following Jesus. Because there's a lot of people that can tell you like a, the, you know, the 10 verses they know or put things in, in sayings or they can just talk at the surface of what it means to follow Jesus. But John is referring to people that have been through some things with Jesus and really gotten to know him and the word and how this works and how this can be passed on. He's writing to those people in that church. He's just affirming them. Hey, I want to write to you fathers. You know, and I don't think this is gender specific. I think he's just choosing these words. He's, he's writing to experienced men and women who've gotten to know Jesus and who now have wisdom to be, to be passed on because that seems to be part of it. If you have father, if you're a father, then you have children. If, if somebody's getting to know me and things about me and I say, yeah, I'm a father, the next thing they're going to say is, well, how many kids do you have? If you are a spiritual father, like John is speaking to here, there ought to be people that you can say, and here are my spiritual children. Here are people that I've influenced. Here are people that God has given me the opportunity to share the gospel with. There are people behind me that I've invested in. And here they are. Now, what they do with that is up to them. If you invest wisely, that's all that's faithful on our part. And I want to say that because sometimes people will wrestle with guilt that, boy, I poured into this person and they're not following through. That's not on you. That's on you just to be faithful and to be interested and to be sensitive to the moment and what the moment needed and to provide that. So he speaks to, to spiritual fathers. There's a verse where God says in the Old Testament, I'm going to be able to be known. He says in Isaiah 52, Therefore my people shall know my name, and therefore in that day they shall know that it's I who speak, here am I. Here am I. That God is looking forward to a day where people are going to know him. He's going to be known. Isaiah is writing in a, in a really dark period of, of Israel's history, but God says, not always. Someday I'm going to be known. There are people in this church, you are the fathers and mothers that John be writing to. You've known, you know God. You've been through deep waters with him. And you've taken, you've been faithful to your time in the word. So now you can stay that on. You develop disciplines that are needed on our side. You've also experienced the grace of God in your life. And you have that wealth for us that we need. Every church needs that. All of our, our children, spiritual children, they need that. They need that from us. And then he writes to, to these young men that he refers to. Again, I don't, it's not gender specific. I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. But then when he circles back on that, he speaks a little more broadly to that. I write to you young men 
because you're strong, the word of God abides in you, and you've overcome the evil one. What is overcoming it? What does that assume? It assumes that you, you, were, you showed up and you got engaged in whatever it was that was going on. That as a younger, as a middle Christian, you know, you're past the, the surprise and the joy of being forgiven. You're past knowing that God is your father and just that basic. And now you're moving into what are the battles that need to be fought? Because he's speaking that you ran into the, the evil one and you overcame him. You ran into the evil one on what it was he was doing in your life and, and you allowed God to change that. You allowed God to change who you were compared to who it was that the devil had made you or he, who you had allowed the devil to make you. You stepped in and, and you fought as, he, as a, a young man in this passage in that middle thing. You've grown to maturity where you got involved in what God was doing because whatever it is God is trying to do, Satan is trying to counter that. And so there's always a conflict of that. You're trying to share Jesus with someone. Satan's trying to steal that seed from that person. He's trying, to, he's trying to do something in their life to convince them that God is not good and that God is not interested. You're trying to, whatever it is, reach out. You're trying to expand our, our reach to, to those who are in recovery. You're trying to expand our reach to young people. You're trying to expand our reach. Wherever it is that you're trying to reach out, you're engaging the evil one and the pushback. And so you're overcoming that. You're overcoming that in your own walk with Jesus and, and not allowing there to be things like, that's who I am, like, I'm used to this, this is what I've always struggled with. You are fighting that on your side, you know, and you're fighting in the strength of the Lord to see that overcome. And then you, he's using you in those battles everywhere. It's not to say those, those, those of us who are be called the fathers and the mothers in this passage, that we're past that because we should be engaged in that right until it's time to go home, until, until this thing is over. But there's this section where you move from, from spiritual childhood into young men where now you are engaging and you are growing and you are serving and you are advancing. And so what's going to be key to that? He says what's key to that is being strong. And so even when Paul talks about spiritual warfare, he says to stand, but to be strong in the strength of the Lord. It's never going to be, you know, when, when people say to us, we're just not as strong as you. We're not so strong as you think. It's just that we've learned to allow the strength of God to come in. When the people are all overwhelmed by the project they're doing with Nehemiah, and he says, hey, it's the joy of the Lord that's our strength. You know, that because you're strong and the word of God abides in you because it's always going to come back to the word. It's always going to come back to knowing the word. It did for Jesus when he overcame the evil one. It's going gonna, it's gonna to focus you on what is God doing? What is God promising? How do you fight this battle? All of those things are going to be in the word. And you've overcome the evil one. You've overcome him and you continue to do that. All of this John is saying to them and to us that you have to know where your heart is. Here's where your heart is. It's important for you to be able to assess that, to look at this and say, hey, I think I'm a spiritual child, and so this is the next thing for me. I think I'm a, in that spiritual young man or young woman, and so this is what I need to really be dialed into. Or I think I might even be a spiritual father or a spiritual mother, and so this is where I need to be. It's important that you know your heart. But then he makes this interesting turn and twist, and it's, it's almost like now he says to us, you have to know what your heart isn't. Because he goes on in verse 15, he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God uh, abides forever. See, speaking there are things that our hearts can lock into that aren't good, that you have to know where your heart is. My heart needs to be over here, and I'm on this journey. My heart shouldn't be over here, where it's so tied, in, it's so tied into the, to loving this place and loving this life and what I can get out of it. Interesting context, isn't it? Because last week, we're in, in verses 7 through 11, where he's talking us about loving each other. And if, the, if we're not loving each other, how does the love of God you know, remain in us, or how has it taken hold of us? But in now in this passage, he looks at, do not let your heart and do not let its love be latched into 
be latched into this world, that there's got to be a detachment. The same way that, that when you got engaged, you know, you detached from other relationships. You know, when you got, en- when you got engaged with that girl, that was the end of your other girlfriends because you detached, and now I'm just committed to the one. And that's, that's how John is looking. When you committed to Christ, you detached from what this world offered as the way of life and as the goals of life. You just, you just uh, cut that out. You, you made sure that the world wouldn't suck you in to everything that it was offering. And, and there's, there's good things in this world and good things in this life to enjoy. And, and Timothy will say, God has given us all things richly to enjoy. But this world system is something that's broken, broken and on a runaway from God. What it's trying to sell and where it's trying to direct is far from what God is trying to do. And that's what John is speaking to us, to us here about. Look at this quote I came across that I loved. It says, all of us are in the world, and as long as we are, all of us are in danger of being betrayed by the senses to cleave to things present and seen, to the forgetfulness of those which are absent and unseen. Hey, walk through that again. That all of us, you know, as followers of Jesus, we're all in this world, and as long as we're in this world, we're in danger of being betrayed by the senses. We're in danger of being betrayed by ourselves, by what we see and what we hear and by what we smell or, you know, by what we feel. We're in danger of being betrayed by all of those things that are supposed to be for us so that we'll cleave to the things that are here and now and forget things that are going to be forever. That's a powerful thing. We'll put that up on our Facebook page later for those of you that are, you know, mad scrambling and going to talk to me that I didn't leave the slide up long enough. (laughs) But you have to know where your heart isn't. And we also know that God has given you a new heart, but constantly we're choosing which heart we live out of. Do I live out of this new heart with its loves and its desires and its drives to, to follow Jesus? Or am I living out of my old heart that still is very much about me and isn't so concerned about you unless it helps me? It's, that's where we are. It's where we constantly are, are choosing where we live out of it. So that sense that I know where my heart isn't, my heart is not here. It is not in this world. It is, it is not tied to the fact that this world has everything that I need, that this world, if I listen to it in these insane times, you certainly don't want to be listening to the world and what it's telling you, this is what's right, this is what's true, this is what will benefit you. I mean, I was reading one commentary, he talks about, just came back again to, what is it we're talking about when we talk about the world? Because if you're newer to Jesus, if you're not yet giving your life to Jesus, maybe you wonder, how are we using this word world? I thought God loved the world. And so this one writer talked about the different way God lo- talks about the world. One way he talks about the world is that this is the world that God made, that he loves, and that is the object of salvation. He's trying to save the world. Then you have the world that Christ is the light of the world. He's the savior of the world. He's the propitiation for the whole world. He's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But then you have this world system that lies in the grip of the evil one. And so everything about it is against God. And if you turn to the very end of 1 John, you're going to see John remind the readers of this. In, in 1 John 5, 19, you know, why is it so hard? or Why does it seem like so much pushback to following Jesus? In 5, 19, he says, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. You know, or if you look at the beginning of, of John 3, at the very end of that verse, in, in John 3, 1, it says, the reason why the world does not know us is that it, it, it did not know him. Which is another way that the word for world is used, how it's referred to. The world is, is the place where, the, where Jesus came as the word, he came as the light of the world, and the world failed to recognize him, and, and so it doesn't recognize us. And so, so John, like Paul says, so this whole world is just in a futile situation. That this world, this beautiful thing that God created to reflect his goodness and for people to enjoy him and grow in him and serve him and know him, all of that's gone off the rails. And now you have a world system where 
It's just people deciding what's right for them and what they want to do and what they think is fair and what they think everyone else ought to do, and that's where it conflicts with what God says is right and true about life. And we are living in that push. And so John is saying to us, you cannot love that. You can't let your heart be there as a follower of Jesus. So don't love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him because the Father's loves are so different than where the world world will take us. Remember we talked about this word word love last week, that it's agape, that it can be kind of broken down until you see the value in a person and you commit yourself to bringing the value out of that person, to helping them grow and to, to express who they are, who God has made them, to be the best of who they are. You commit yourself to that. You can't take that and lay that down in a system that's against God, that I see this world has a lot to offer, and I'm going to commit myself to bringing all of that out. That was some of your stories, was that this world had a lot to offer, and you committed yourself to trying to experience it all. And it led to brokenness, not fulfillment. So that's why John says you can't love that. Your heart, our hearts are not here. This world is broken and, and, and it's lost and it needs to be loved, but it needs to be loved in a way that brings it to Jesus, not loved in a way that meets some need that you're trying to satisfy. It will never do that. Remember when, when Jesus has this conversation with Satan and this is the offer to Satan it's less to us, but pretty similar. In the temptation, Satan says to Jesus, takes him to high mountain, shows him all the kings of the world and the glory, and he says to Jesus, he says to Jesus, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. I'm going to give you everything. You know, you can step back and think about that. I'm going to give you everything that you made, <laughs> except that Satan has the, he has the keys to it at that moment. He has the right to it. What he's really offering Jesus is, you can have all of this without the cross. If you will skip the cross, I will give you all of this. Boy, that's where, that's where it came to Jesus. The, you know, that's what made that, t- that, that offer real. But that's what he says. He doesn't say all of this, but there is a voice inside of you and me that says, I will give you acceptance. I will give you whatever, success, I will give you acknowledgement, I will give you peace, all of those things that he's offering, if you will just follow me and not follow Jesus. I mean, very few of us, you know, met people that have, but very few of us have bowed down and worshiped Satan like that. But all of us have followed him. All of us have taken him up on that offer. If you will just do it this way instead of God's way. You know, you don't have to wait for marriage. You don't have to do this absolutely legally. You don't have to really forgive that person. You don't have to, whatever it is, he always has this alternative plan. And that's what John is saying. You can't let your heart be there. Because remember he said in verse 1, I'm writing these things to you so that you will not sin. So halfway through this chapter, he's telling us, you can't love the world and get where, where God is trying to take you. So your heart is not here. What you crave is not here. That's what, when he says in verse 16, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's not from the Father, it's from the world. You know, so many of us grew up with other translations that use a stronger word than desire. It used the word lust, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the sinful pride of life. Those things, they're not from God. What you crave what it is that's deep within you that you crave, you crave acceptance, you crave success, you crave whatever it is, whatever you're craving, that's not from God because that's usually wrapped up in me. Usually that, that part is, what about me? You know, we had conversations with people and they used to be in this thing, yeah, but what about me? Well, if you do what Jesus says, about you will be enough. It will be okay, you know, but it's not the way we tend to think of things. I can't do that because that would really be humbling myself or that would really be hard or that would really be you know, all of the above sometimes. But it's just a matter of following Jesus and not following what it is you think you crave or what you think you crave that will be it. You know, the things you crave are wrapped up about what, you, what your needs are, what your wants are, what makes life easier for you. 
the things you crave, they're about what you're seeing and how you're evaluating life based on what you're seeing. Wow, that, they, make, they make a lot of money. They live in a nice house. That's a nicer car. That's a nicer whatever it is, the things that you are seeing and evaluating. And the world gets that, which is why we have so many commercials that are conveying us what you have, what you have really stinks. What you need is this. You need whatever, this body, this car, this house, this relationship, this whatever, this vitamin supplement, whatever. This is what you need. And so we're constantly, we're constantly assessing and measuring things by what we see. And then it's so easy for us to come back to, look what I've done, which is, seems to be this last phrase, the pride of life. So somebody put it this way, that we're laying down glory, but, but it's, it's our own. That we're, there's a glory of, look what I've done, but it's not for God, what he's done, what he's given to me, what he's done through me, what he's allowed me to have. It's for me, look what I've done. There's this moment in, in the Old Testament where King Nebuchadnezzar, this terrible king, where he goes out and he looks over this empire that he's built and he says, is this not Babylon that I have made? And at that moment, God just strikes him. He becomes an animal for a couple of years, literally an animal for a couple of years because he didn't build that at all. And we need to be careful when we get to that moment. Wow, look at what I've done with my life. Because they hear that in heaven. That's the pride of life. Instead of, God, wow, have you been kind to me? Have you put the right people in my life? Have you put the right circumstances in my life? Have you kept me from doing the idiot thing? All of those things. Here's my life, and I'm so thankful for what you have done to build it. That's, that's where it is. And so John is there. Listen, these things, they are not from God. Those drives that you have where you're going to take care of yourself your way, and, and, and I understand I'm talking to a church full of people. We're really good at, at you know, pasting some God onto what we want. You know, how many times have you or Pastor Ted and I talked to people, well, I just feel like this is what God wants me to do. I don't think so because his word says no you know, but we're able to put some God talk on that, you know, where God is doing this, I don't see it, you know, I've, I don't know, I don't know the whole Bible, but what I know, so John is just saying, you can't, you can't get there, because if you have a craving, if you have a desire, then it really is saying you're not satisfied, right, if you desire something, if you crave, if you're lusting after something, you're not happy with what you've got now, which sometimes then reflects on the God who's positioned your life where it is now. I'm really not, this, you know, this person that I married, God, you know, when I'm, when I'm lusting after other women, that's a dissatisfaction. And, and you've got to catch that early as a lie or that's going to run to bad places or your kids or your job or your home or your parents or whatever that is. That's what John is trying to cut off None of that is from God. And so, so there's that sense of dissatisfaction. Whether that's your job and, and being at peace with the job that you're at or sensing is God calling you to something else. Can I speak into an area where I see a lot of people and, and I, don't know, I don't know enough to know what's God, what's not God. I just have concerns as a pastor. And that's to, to all the people who are going back to school as adults, and the sacrifices that are being made, sometimes the spiritual sacrifices that are being made. I don't want you to hear that, that I'm making a general statement about going back to school as an adult because I think there, that, opens, that can open a lot of doors to you and that God can be in the middle of that. I just get concerned as a pastor for the spiritual sacrifices that are made because so often we don't see people rebound from those. And sometimes I worry and hey, I'm, I'm a pastor, I worry. It's what I do. It's what you pay me to do, to worry about you, and, to, and that takes me to praying for you. Sometimes I worry that we're, we're trying to advance, whether it's a degree, whether it's a job, whether it's a financial thing, because we're trying to prove something to someone about ourselves. That is not a good motive, to prove to people who may not even be here anymore that you're more valuable that, than they thought you were, that you, are more, you can be more successful than they told you you could be. 
you don't want to be you don't want to be letting that drive life that's not from god so you want to just be sure that when you're taking those steps and and god calls us to things there's a lot about life that requires sacrifices you just want to make sure those are god motivated sacrifices and not some craving inside of you he says there's going to be this moment of celebration or disappointment that's where it seems like he ends up in verse 17 and the world is passing away along with its desires but whoever does the will of god abides forever i can think of so many things that i convinced cindy we need to get this i need to get this it'd be cool it, we, we never use that cool is never a good argument it'd be it'd be efficient it would be it's a good investment this would be good for us to have this would save me time and then it lasts about two weeks, you know, or however that goes. And you're in that moment where this was passing away. This was a disappointment. Or how many of us, if you have a little life experience, you just wake up with a regret. Man, that was a waste of time. And that was a waste of money. That was a waste of... That's what John is trying to prevent, that we don't have this huge moment of regret, that this world is passing away. If you invest yourself in this world... It's going to pass away, and everything you've invested and all the time and energy and opportunity is going to just go flying away. But the one that does the will of God, that remains forever. You know, Deal Moody, who started Moody Bible Institute, was from Northfield. If you go up to, he started the Northfield School. If you go up on that property, there's his homestead, and there's his, he and his wife's tombstone. On his tombstone, it says, he that does the will of God abides forever. You think of Moody, man, what he poured his life into continues. I mean, whatever I've done with my life, that's a continuation of the influence of D.L. Moody, as is yours. You're, you're the continuation of someone that was doing the will of God. Whether they've continued it, I hope, but, but maybe not. That this, this struggle, knowing where your heart is, knowing where your heart isn't, that's going to lead you to a moment of celebration where you celebrate what God did through you, what he did in you, or where you have this moment of regret and, and disappointment and because you, you did not. When, when Peter talks to church leaders, he gives them this sense, and I, I wonder if you pick up this last phrase. I did it out of the New International. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. He talks to church leaders, this is how you need to function, but that idea that, listen, when you stand before Jesus and and your, your life and what you've done with your life's poured out, whatever he gives you, it's going to be unfading. It's going to last forever, that acknowledgement that he gives to you and, and that, sense, that sense that you have of joy there. And so what does Solomon tell his son? He tells his teenage son, above everything else, guard your heart. Everything you do flows from it. So John tells you, it's important to know where your heart is. Where's your heart in this journey? It's important for us to hear him say how important it is for, to, for you to know where your heart is not. It should not be tied to this life and to here and now. It should be tied to what is Jesus doing? What does he want me to do that will last for eternity and that will affect eternity? So that's his word. Re receive the affirmation. Worry, worry you in your journey. And then hear, hear him say to know your heart as far as where are you in regard to this world and living here and not as a follower of Jesus. So let's stand and I'm going to pray and then the team's going to lead us in a song that I think will launch, launch you out into the week. We also hear you say in the word, Lord, that the heart is deceitful above everything else and who can even know how deceptive it is. So I pray you give us victory right now, Lord, even as, as we wrestle out where we are in this. We can, we can listen to a message like this. I've listened to messages like this, Lord, and just been convinced that I'm okay and, and not giving you the opportunity to speak. So even as the speaker and, and praying over our church family and our live stream family, would you help us to go silent so we can hear from you? Just want to affirm those who are children in our faith, Lord. Would you encourage them? And just remind them again, they are forgiven that they can stop worrying about that and they can recognize the guilt they feel comes from the evil one and not from you so that they can move on in their relationship with you as Father. Lord, I want to pray over those who've been saved a long time, but that still defines them.
that they'd be able to move on. There'd be a security and confidence in you that would move them on. And for those young men, those men and women who, who are under that umbrella of young men, and they are fighting in your strength, God, battles that need to be fought in their walk with you, in their families maybe, in ministries that you call them into. Pray that they would just have a new wave of power and passion for that. So thankful, God, for those spiritual fathers and mothers that we have in our church, people who, who just model Jesus and knowing Jesus in a deep way to us and who, who walk with him. God, bless them, protect them, protect their testimony that we might continue to, to see you in them and follow them as they follow you, just like Paul said. And here's this world. It's so great. It's so great to be in America. We're so blessed by your grace that we were born here and we have so much freedoms in spite of all the craziness of this season. We are so blessed to be here. Protect us from taking that blessing and allowing it to turn into a curse that keeps us from you or that diverts us away from you. I pray for those, Lord, who, who need to just look at their lives and realize how entwined their life of following you is to living in the here and now, that you set them free of that, to be able to live for what's forever and what will count forever, that we have a massive celebration together at what was done because we allowed you to do that. That's what we pray, God. Say yes, that's what we will for you. Amen. Isn't Jesus so good that, that we can always count on him? You know, he's never going to fail. From from our point of view, he might, you know, let us down or, or something, but his plan is always is always better. Um, and I just, God just brought this verse to my mind um, in Hebrews 6. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Amen. Amen. On our behalf. So let's just um let's just worship him with this last song, just just shouting out how good he is. count on one thing the same God that never fails will not fail me now you won't fail me now in the waiting the same God that's never late that's working all things out you're working all things out yes I will lift you high in the lowest valley, yes, I will bless your name. Yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy all my days. Oh, yes, I
glorify the name of all names. Nothing can stand against good you are and you are so worthy of all of our praise till the end of time we sang earlier um you know join into what heaven's singing that you're holy god that's what the angels are singing right now and that's what we're going to be singing for the rest of forever um and so god we just we just thank you for how good you are that you are that forerunner that went before us that you are a sure and steady anchor for our soul, that we can always rely on you. And thank you that we don't, we don't have to do it ourselves because you've already accomplished that work of forgiveness, Lord, and you've already, um, you've already given us the promise that your spirit is gonna be there to help and guide us. We don't have to try to change ourselves. You're here to change us. So, God, I pray that we would just surrender to that. Amen. Amen. Hey, a reminder, our young adult starts tonight. You can talk to Jen and Gavin or Max and Sophie or Will and Alexis. If you have a question about that, aren't you glad that young adults is going to pick up and get going? Our next thing that's on to go. So. Hey, I feel like an important message. Pastor Ted's going to be in the front if you'd like him to pray over you, or Jody's going to be up front if you'd like to talk to her about her story, or, yeah, you would pray over people, I'm too. you here all week. You're here all week, yeah, okay, <laughs> all right. On that note, have a great week serving the Lord, yeah. <laughs>